our rent is like $17 a month. Exactly. And now I'm looking at a $10 million check. That you can leave with. Yeah, and go to high school and go back to the classroom the next, the day. next day. Welcome to Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, but you can call me Hawk. You might have already seen Needing Dough, the video series on uninterrupted.com where your favorite athletes like Serena Williams, Lindsey Vaughn, and of course, LeBron James, talked with Uninterrupted co-founder Maverick Carter about how they learned to manage the life-changing amounts of money that becoming a pro athlete can provide. But those videos are only a few minutes long, and we had a lot more of those conversations that we want to share with you. So on this podcast, you'll hear the extended versions of those interviews where the athletes sit down and open up about their journey and relationship with money more than they ever have. And here's where I come in. I'm a former NFL wide receiver and graduate of Columbia Business School. I'm also the director of business development here at Uninterrupted and host of the Tomahawk Show alongside my former Cleveland Browns teammate and legend, Joe Thomas. I'm gonna bring you the personal perspective on how these lessons from legends translate to you and your life. For me, one of my biggest lessons has been how much of my life I need to run like a business. And as we hear these stories, I think that theme really comes through from their upbringing and childhood where, to be honest, a lot of them didn't have much money, to now, where they had to learn quickly how to handle a whole lot of it. Before we get started with this conversation, featuring one LeBron James, this show is brought to you by Uninterrupted and Chase. And lastly, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's free, it helps others find the show, and it notifies you every time we drop a new episode. Ron, what up, baby? What's going on, man? Now let's kick the show off with the king himself. At this point, LeBron James needs no introduction. You know all the accolades, 14-time NBA All-Star, four-time MVP, three NBA championships, two gold medals, and one banana boat. But before all that, he was just a kid from Akron, Ohio, with big dreams and small pockets. So let's get to it. Here's LeBron sitting down with his business partner and lifelong friend, Mr. Maverick Carter. So, welcome to the set of Needing Dough. All right. Uh, thanks for coming on. Obviously, the funny part is the show that we're about to have this conversation about is, is a show and a conversation that you and I have had lots and lots <laughs> of times. I mean, since we were kids, right. basically. And I, even though I still feel like a kid, we've kind of grown up now and accomplish many things. But I think, you know, as athletes, no one ever talks about an athlete's life being flipped upside down. Right. No one ever talks about an athlete's life of going from being a kid to having to make decisions about millions, right. hundreds of thousands and millions of yeah. dollars. As a, as a young person, like, no one else deals with that. No one else makes the, the most money they're gonna make in their life and all their money between the age of 20 and 30. Right. And the fact of the matter is, we hear all these stories about athletes losing money and what they spent money on, but no one ever has the conversation about your life being flipped. Did you think about that? Do you, when you were, you obviously were 18 when you started making money <laughs> right. and you came from nothing right. to making money. Did you ever stop and think like, wow, I gotta make these tough decisions at 21 and 22? It's a, it's a scary thing, you know, because there's no, um, there's no example, obviously, around. There was not even someone that actually had a, a job in my family. So it was nobody that can kind of like tell me, you know, this is how you, this is what you should do with your money. You know, when you make money, this is how 
you know, this is how it should go and things of that nature. This is how it's going to come in, uh, you know, handling your bills and things of that nature. So, you know, being a, like a, a first generational money maker in the household is a scary thing. And for 18 year old, I go from being sitting in classrooms in May graduating high school to being a multimillionaire a month later, you know, in June, you know, which is insane. Like I, it's hard to kind of process that. And it's just, it's a scary thing. And did, when you, when you were growing up, we all have dreams and aspirations. You think about being in You obviously dreamed about being an NBA player, but did you dream or think about like, think I'm going to be rich. I'm going to, like you said, you were scared to go to the top, but right. you wanted to be an NBA player, right. which puts you at the top right. economically. But did you think like, I also, you, you thought about being a basketball player, but did you also think I'm going to be rich also? Um, we used to play a game called bingo as kids. The flyest car ride by, the first person to say bingo is that, that's their car. Yeah, exactly. You know, so like you knew you had to have money to, to have that, you know, and also, you know, we practice in Cleveland, you know, all the time and we practice in Shaker Heights. Yep where some of the best houses are and some of the best houses that I've ever seen growing up was in that community. So, and I always, always look at those cribs like, wow, it'd be great to be able to put my mom in that house or for me to be in, you know, have something like that because after practice, I was going right back to the bottom, you know? So um, I knew that money would allow me to access those things, but I never let money get in the way of the drive that I had to actually just get to the top. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's actually a good point because you, you know, there's a lot of athletes who talk about money. Like, right. oftentimes they want to tell you how much they got, and frankly, you've made more than all of them. But I love the fact that you always, you never talk about. It. It's funny. I always tell people when every year the Forbes list for Celebrity 100 comes out, they call me and they, like they have, they have to do their research. They call everyone's manager or partner or agent or whatever, and I always call you and you always say, "Man, I don't." I don't want my my stuff out there. I don't yeah. want my shit out there. You never really have that. Is that just a conscious thing you have, or is it something you don't want out there? <laughs> I, I think that's just come from. It just come from my upbringing. You know, it's like, you know, my uncles always taught me like, you know, if they ever gave me money, you know, my my uncles were street guys. You know, so they was they was like actually my. My, they was my savings account. They taught me how to have a savings account. So, you know, if they give me a dollar, they'd be like, listen, nephew, you know, go over and spend 35 cents of it and keep the other 65. You know, or if they gave me $2, they'd be like, you know, go ahead and spend a dollar of it, but, but stash the other dollar. So I'm always in my head about stashing and like keeping my money like, you know, sacred and to myself because I didn't know when the next, I didn't know when my uncle was going to give me another dollar here <laughs> or another 50 cent here. So, um, I've always kind of had that, like that, that closure about my finances and things of that nature, because it's just, and it's also a, it's also like a, you know, a thing like boasting and bragging. It's not, we didn't, we didn't do that growing up. Of course not. You know, yeah. you knew who you were by not saying nothing. Some, you know, you always hear that we, we say the term all the time was known no need to be said. Of course. You know, so, you know, that's kind of stuck with me even at this point. So like you said, when, when, when Forbes do they, Fortune 500 list, or they do their list every single year. It's like, it doesn't intrigue me you because I just want to continue to, you know, do what I need to do to, ch you know, continue to set my family up for life. That's good. And as you talk about your family, one thing I think we should talk about that you and I have taught, had this conversation many times about family, like dealing right. with family, going, <laughs> being a first generation yeah. 
person with money like you are, like I am, A, there's your parents, but then B, really important and cool is your kids. Yeah. So like, we always talk <laughs> about like, we grew up, you grew up in the bottom, yeah. we grew up in the hood, like, yeah. but your kids are growing up in a big, gigantic yeah. house with another house Yeah, they'd be on the top. With, yeah, yeah they'd they be on the top. <laughs> they'd be on yeah. the top. <laughs> yeah. So, do they realize it? Do they know it? Do they understand there's a bottom? How do you teach them or talk about the bottom to them? No, nah, they, they would never understand that there's a bottom. And um, and that's the challenge of a parent every single day that I kind of have to juggle with. You know, how, how do I raise my kids knowing that they would never feel or understand what their father went through? But you just give them life goals. You give them challenges. And at the end of the day, they're going to have to walk their own path. You know, just like we did, you know, even no matter if you came from the top of the top or you come from the bottom of the bottom, you still have a road to travel, you know, so it's, it's <laughs> they have no idea. It's crazy. They have no right? idea. Like, I mean, we talk about it all the time. I, I had no idea what a, what a pantry was. So I was like 15 years <laughs> old. Are the chips and bread went on top, on of, top the of the refrigerator, everything, yeah. chips, cereal, bread all on top of the refrigerator. I didn't know what a pantry was. So I was like 15, 16 years now, old. Now, if your kids go to somebody's house, there's no pantry. They're going to think that's weird. Oh, oh, yeah. That's if they see weird, a box though. of cereal on the top of the refrigerator, they're going to say they, they're going to leave. Yes. They're not going to understand that. So when you see them doing things like that, how do you, do you teach them? Do you stop them right then and teach them? Because if you do that, you'll be right. stopping them every single, it's a lot of stopping. Right. It's, teach a, them it's a like, lot of stopping. Guys, that, you got to understand right. there's a different part. How do you do, how do you talk to them about I it? I talk to them on the simple fact of appreciate what they have. Appreciate what they have and don't. Don't just think that it can always be accessible to you, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm your dad and your mother is your mother and we're going to give you what we want to give you, you know, so it's a it's a it's a tricky thing because like you said, you you will be there every day, all day <laughs> saying, listen, why'd you do that? Yeah, you why, do why would you even think you can do that? Like, exactly. that's not that's not cool, you know, but at the same time, you also got to let them, you know, grow at the same time. But it's, it's, it's very difficult, man. You know, the great thing that my wife and I does, you know, which helps, like, obviously I'm in a position now where it's, it's very hard for me to fly commercial. Of course. You know, it's just a hassle. Like from, you know, I want my privacy, I want my downtime, and it's just very hard to fly commercial, you know, and so I fly private. So with my kids, when they come with me, they fly private. The challenging thing is, you know, when, when they were my wife, sometimes they have to fly commercial. And I've actually heard my oldest son asked my wife one time, are we flying commercial or private? And she just- and you want to slap him in the face. Right, huh? I do, I want to slap him in the face, but at the same time, he's been, he's been a part of that life too. And my wife just gave him this look like, you just, you have no idea. But we try to balance it like, okay, yeah, we're going to fly private sometimes, but at the same time, we're going to fly commercial just to give him- Make know, sure he sees- Make sure he sees both sides of the Make fences, sure he feels a little bit of it all. Absolutely. So, and then as we stay on the topic of family, the one thing we obviously talk about is the switch with yeah. your parents, <laughs> where you go from like, now your your mom has to come to you, like no, and I'm you the take care now. of your mom. Now yeah, I'm the here. parent. Now I'm yeah. the parent now. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. a weird it thing a weird because thing. at the beginning is like, oh, I'm just gonna do whatever my mom asks me. I'm gonna right, do everything right. for her. And then now you're 32, you've had money since you're 18. Right. It's probably not like that anymore. You're going to be a little bit more like, no, well, mom, I, you just got that. I I'm not buying that right, anymore. Right, absolutely. I mean, the hardest thing, that one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to do in my professional career is learn how to tell my mom no. You know, because I come from a single-parent household, you know, only child. 
So I felt like I got everything. I felt like my mom never told me no. And if she, and if she told me no, it was like she just couldn't do it. It was like no way she could make it happen. So I understood that. So, you know, all through, you know, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, and I, be, I get drafted, it's like, oh, I'm getting moms whatever she wants. <laughs> There's no way I'm telling her no. You know, but then you open the floodgates. <laughs> exactly. You open the floodgates when you do that. You open the floodgates when you do that. Yeah, next thing you know. The water is rising on you. You start, you know, the water is rising up on you. So that was one of the hardest things that I had to do, but it was one of the best things that I learned how to do. It was just like, Mom, no, I'm not doing that. Mom, I'm not doing that. Listen, this is the position I'm in now. You're now. Not, I feel like that's not now. My, I'm, that's my child. Now. <laughs> exactly. I'll take care of my mom. She's my yeah. child. I'll take care of her. And, uh, you know, it's been it's been smooth sailing. After, after, ever since I've been able to, like, no, can't do it, mom. Just can't do it. She, she came to understand the same understand thing it. with me. Yeah, your yeah. parents come to understand that they're yeah. going to live a great life, yeah. but it doesn't mean you get everything you want. But it's just a weird, it is a weird thing, thing <laughs> when that switch occurs and you have to go through that switch yeah. of, like, okay, now my mom called me for stuff. And I may have to say, mom, Either I'm not doing that, or right. you're gonna call me back later. I right. can't talk about right. this right now. Right. Is it? It is. It's very difficult. Yeah, and it's not the fact that you don't got it, but it's just the fact that they might. They don't need it. Yes. They know it's there, you know. And I and I. It's just like a kid when I was a kid. It was like, I just I just had a donut, and I and and it's <laughs> it's five more there. I it's five more there. It's like, oh. and your mama tell you no. It's like no, you can't have another one. You are like why? They sitting right there. Exactly. Why can't Nobody I have else it? is here. Nobody else is here. I'm by myself. Why can't I have it? It's just like, no. So, you know, you gotta understand it. Saying no to people is one of the hardest things to do. But it's important to know exactly how and when to do it. I can remember early on in my career the first time I had to tell a family member no. Much like LeBron, I had to weigh the difference between whether it was a want or a need. Wants are self-explanatory. But the needs, those are a little harder to identify. There's the kind of needs where the situation is beyond your control. For example, a family member may get diagnosed with a sickness or disease and need help with bills or covering insurance. Then there's the needs that probably could have been avoided. You run up a credit card debt, or you get behind on your bills because you're not making wise decisions with your money. Although it's awkward to tell a family member no, along the way, I got pretty good with the process of doing it. If it was a need that they couldn't control, I did the best I could. If it was a need that they brought on themselves, I typically would only give them half of what they were asking, and with the caveat that, until they pay me back in full, not to come ask anymore. Small price to pay to make sure people weren't taking advantage. In the situations where I determined it was a want, I explained to them if it was a want, that hey, when the time comes when you actually need financial assistance for something much bigger than what you're asking, we're both gonna be happy that I'm there for you. Now, learning how to tell people no can be really hard. Another thing that was hard for a young LeBron James to wrap his head around was just how big the business of the NBA was. You know, you're one of the greatest players to ever play, if not the greatest basketball player to ever play, one of the greatest athletes to live, but basketball, is your business, is your main business, but even for you, it only lasts so long. <clears throat> when did you realize it was the moment in our conversations and conversations and walking into the locker room, seeing national, when did you realize, holy shit, this is 
big business. Right. When you're 18, it's hard to <laughs> understand that. You're just like, I'm yeah, just stupid. Just yeah. I get paid a lot. He gets paid a right, lot. Right, People right. make a lot of money. Right. We move. But was there a point where you realized, like, was did you, like, walk into the locker room or did you walk onto the floor and see all these cameras? Like, yeah, this is real big business. Um, you know, my first, my first game, I knew it was a big deal. Didn't know it was big business. Obviously, people who was covering the game knew it was big business. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, that's know, what they were there for. Yeah, that's what they were there for. I didn't. I was like, listen, I'm here to play. This is this is huge, but like this is it's a huge basketball. It's a huge game. basketball game. That's all you know, that's you all played I knew. The huge yeah, basketball right. game. That's all I knew. So, you know, I think I started to realize it was huge business when I started to travel overseas. When we started to go to China you know, oh, every yeah, year with right. Nike. The first year we went yeah. was two thousand and two thousand and four. After yeah. your second year. Yep, after my second year. It was the first year you played the Olympics. Yep. So the first time we made our China trip with Nike, that's when I started to realize, and I'm at this point, I'm 19, 20, you know, and, but I, I was like, wow, all these people, you know, in China know who I am, a kid from the bottom. And yes, it's because I played a game of basketball, but also was like, wow, this is a huge business opportunity. You know, and that's at that point in time, that's when I knew it, it, it could become something real. And do you think, as you see a lot of young guys in the mm -hmm. league now, do you think it's good that young players understand that? Or is it better they just, you know, because you get a lot of young players, people right. tell them, just play basketball. Don't right. worry about anything else. Right. The agent or the this or the that will take care of this. Do you think they should, young guys should have an understanding yeah, of that? Or no not? one matters. It's a tricky thing. Yeah, because I know. That's my question. It's a very tricky question. thing because... You never want to shy away from what the main thing is. Keep the main thing the main thing. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I learned from the great Pat Riley is keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is basketball. Yep. That's winning why we're games, here, being great. Winning games, working on your craft. Yep. But you also have to understand there is a business to it. Um, because as, as, as great as the main thing is, it's, it's a short window. It's a short window. And... You know, it's, 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 it would be hard for me to tell a young kid to just let your agent just take care of everything. You don't worry about nothing besides just playing basketball because I wasn't that kid. I thought I wanted to be that kid, but my mind was racing too much, and I was like, no, I can't, I can't accept that. Yep. I would be cheating myself. I would be cheating my family. I would be cheating the people that I trust to be around me every day. So I would be like, just ask questions. And you, I'm not saying right now, you're 19, you're 20, that you're ready to sit into a sit in a room in a conference room for two hours and three hours because I know it's going to be boring to you at some point. But just ask questions. You know, when does my checks come in? You know, is it the first and fifteenth? Is it the second and sixteenth? You know, how much? When do I get paid? Is it quarterly? You know, is it you know halfway through the season? How much do I get up front? Is it 80 percent up front, 20 on the back end for the rest of the season? You know, is it you know? I need to know exactly, you know, how our practices go. So maybe I can carve out three hours, you know, a week, just three hours a week to talk to the guy that's, you know, handling my, handling my business or that's handling my apparel or handling whatever the case may be. That's on my mind. And, and that those things will, you know, start to move on its own. There's a piece in your brain that's a working part of it that's just always moving, but you got to feed it. You got to feed it, feed it, feed it information to allow it to keep on going. So, you know, like you said, I, it's, a, it's a tricky thing it's because tricky. you, you want to, you got to maximize the skill. You know, you got to play the game because 
franchises want a player. Yep. They don't want a businessman. No, absolutely. They don't want that. They want a guy that can score 25 yeah, and not get picked stops. They will wave a businessman. <laughs> absolutely. They will wave your ass quick. They yeah. want a player. They want a player. Yeah, they want a player. But at the same time, you know, you got to be able to have, you know, that you got to have a little knowledge of that as well. It's a really hard line that everyone has to walk. LeBron, Mav, you and me. When to be a shark and when to go with the flow. You got to choose your battles and know that you're not always going to come out on top. During the cryptocurrency boom, much like a lot of people, I got a little skin in the game. And I actually did really well early on, where I made almost 6x the amount of money that I put in. At this point, I had a decision to make. Do I cash out now with a lot more money than I anticipated making? Or do I stay in the game and chase the one in a million returns we all read about? Unfortunately, I made the wrong decision. I hung in there a bit too long and I ended up breaking even. But I let the greed of extra zeros cloud my better judgment. And it was a real important lesson for me. For LeBron, one of his biggest, most important battles came early in his career. And you know it's all about the shoes. Well, and money. And that's right after the break. All right, let's get back to the conversation between Mav and LeBron. You know, two stories when we were kids. I mean, I was thinking about these as I was preparing for this, that we dealt with this on like a high level. All of a sudden, we were in this, like, for me, it was like, holy shit, now we're in this room and this shit is real. It's right. not like, you. we could sit at your house and talk about it all day. Right. Now it's real, it's like being in a sport, right? You could right. sit in the locker room and they could tell you, Yo, when you drop back the pass, mm -hmm. the corner may come off the end and the, and the linebacker may blitz off that side. It's one thing to see it on film, talk about it, but then when you're in the game, you're like, yeah. oh my God, here comes Von mm -hmm. Miller. Yeah. And here comes Akeem Delete. They're really coming. Yeah. Like, yeah. I had that moment. We were sitting in that room at Reebok, and Paul Fireman was very smart. He said to you, you know, I know you're going to go see Nike and Adidas, but I'm going to offer you $10 million today if you don't go see them and shake my hand right. and say we have a deal when you know obviously there was there was three companies it was Nike, Adidas, and Reebok that wanted you to sign a shoe deal right. and he knew he knew he needed you to sign in that room that moment that day in order for him to win you to come be a part of Reebok he offered he wrote you a 10 million dollar check in that room and you turned it down I can't say I would have turned it down. I, I mean, I think in the room, I said, yo, let's take this check and get the hell out of here. But you turned it down. Was it, So what was that thinking? Do you do you remember what right. you were thinking and why you did it? Right. I mean, I remember, first of all, it was a, the, one of the longest damn tables I've ever the seen in my life. The longest table, boardroom yeah, table ever. One of the longest boardroom tables I've ever seen in my life. And um, I had no idea what he was doing at the other end of the table. I just seen him writing. Yeah. And uh, he was talking, had his head down. He was making sure he didn't get anything wrong on that <laughs> on that check. And when he slid it down there and he said, listen, if you take this right now, you know, you just promised me you won't go talk to Nike or Adidas. You know, you can take this right now. And and, and I was I was lost for words at the, at the beginning. I mean, shit, we flew in. I flew in from Akron, Ohio, yeah. from Spring Hill. Spring Hill like, from the projects. From the projects. Yeah. I mean, our rent is like $17 a month. <laughs> exactly. And now I'm looking at a $10 million check. 
that you can leave with. Yeah, and go to high school and go back to the classroom the next, the day, next day. I was telling people that you were going to homeroom the next morning. <laughs> I was going to homeroom the next morning. So I'm like, holy shit. That's my first initial thing. And then I, I, for some odd reason, I started thinking, like, if this guy, which is a, he's a great guy, too. I still love guy. him to this day. He's Smart an unbelievable guy. guy. But if he's willing to give me a $10 million check right now, what is it to say that Nike or Adidas is not willing to give me 20 or 30, you know, up front, you know, or to say that maybe the upfront money is not even the biggest thing, you know, maybe let's start thinking about the back end, you know, and, you know, I've always, you know, and that comes from, you know, my uncles as well, just, you know, never put all your eggs in one basket, you know, and give, give it an opportunity, give people an opportunity to, to say what they, what they got to, to pitch themselves. And, you know, we, all, we always say, listen, we're going to hear all three companies. We want to hear all three companies, what they have to say, you know, what's their plan. And um, I, can't, I still can't believe I left that 10 million. I can't there. believe it either. You I think see. it's still there? You think we can, can cash it no, today? No, Paul sold the company. Yeah, yeah. He, get, yeah. he made his money. He's gone. The other time was when we were in your basement on Kings Ridge, and we had worked and worked and worked and got to a point where Bob Silliman yeah. was going to give you $140 million. Yeah to be your 50% partner yeah. for the rest of your career. Yeah. It was after your second year. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was the off season in between your second yep. and third year. We went to, uh, to the Hamptons. We, to we the met Hamptons. with Bob in the Hamptons. Yep. He flew us to the Hamptons. We had that long meeting with him. Then Paul and I had subsequent meetings with his team a bunch. Yep. And we got the deal to a point where it was time to present it to you. And you asked a very smart question at the time. You said, well, I'm fine with Bob. But what happens if he sells his company? I just have to be partners with the next person. Right. And we were like, yeah, that's what he's paying you $140 million for. Right. And you said, you know what? Fuck that. I'm betting on myself. Yeah. Like, I believe in myself. What was it that you felt or you just, like, because right. I always tell people, you were at, that was after your second, second year. year. You could have been a bum. <laughs> you could have been yeah. no good. I was 20. I was you were 20 years, years old. So you could have, <laughs> if you turn out to be no good, you make no more money. Right. If you something happens to your injury, you you make no more money, right? And you would have had 140 million dollars in the bank just for your 50 percent partner. Remember, right. it wasn't the whole thing. Right. I remember he just that. wanted to be 50 50 with yeah. you. Yeah. But you said no. You know, like like the question I asked at that point in time, I was like, yeah. I mean, I had a good vibe with Bob when we were sitting at at his house in the Hamptons, and uh, I don't think I've been back to the Hamptons since. By the way, uh, I have a couple. Yeah, of don't think of you, have. you have. You, you're, you're amazing. <laughs> I haven't got invited back, uh, but uh, I just, you know, like I said, I don't know for sure that I was just willing to give up half of myself or commit half of myself at that point in time. I was like, I just, I felt like I had so much to give to myself and I wanted to, I wanted to dedicate myself first to myself before I started allowing people to get in you know, what I was trying to accomplish. And that was the whole thing. It wasn't, it wasn't even about the money. Like I just extracted the money away from it because <laughs> I had to, I had to like, get, I had to get the $140 million out of my head because if I would have thought about that, I would have signed right, right there. Right yeah, of course. But I had to be like, listen, two years ago, you had nothing. You had nothing. Zero. You had zero. Well, you had probably something in your stash. You oh, yeah, I mean, stash. I had some of my uncle's stash. I had a little stash. How much was your stash, by the way, at 18 when you... I've never... Before you, I got paid? Right before you got paid. Before you got your before first I check. Before I got paid? How much do you think was in your stash? 
I probably had a good 1700. Wow. And how long had you been working on that stash? Process I was like six. So for 12 years? Yeah, I had wow. a good 1700. I bet you you were the richest guy in the projects then. Possibly. I bet you you were. Possibly I had a good 1700. As long as it wasn't uh, income tax time. Right. Then you would have got beat by yeah, people. Yeah, I was all cash. All <laughs> exactly. cash. I had about a 1700, but. Wow. Um, yeah, I just couldn't. Um, I just couldn't commit to giving myself up, even 50% of myself at that point in time, because like I said, two years ago, I had nothing. And right now at 20, I have, I'm pretty comfortable. Yep. Very comfortable. So I was like, let's just try to keep it going, man. Let's see what we can do first. Yep. You know, if, if, if he's willing to give us 140 right now, then, you know, maybe let's wait five, 10 years and he, you know, it'd be more than that. So yeah, it worked out. Yeah. It worked out very well. I, the, the other thing I, I had this conversation with Chris Bosch he was telling me that when he, when you guys were all in the heat, mm -hmm. you guys were obviously winning. But he said, more importantly, man, we were winning, we were having a good time, but our locker room conversations were amazing. You know, it's me, T-Way, yeah, LeBron, Ray, Ray James Jones, Shane, yeah. uh, Richard. Yeah. He goes, you walk in the locker room and there might be a guy reading the Wall Street Journal. Right. All of a sudden he tells you about this article he just read. And, We'd start, James Jones would talk about stocks because he was a stock guy, and right. LeBron would talk about investments he's making. And we had all these fantastic conversations. He said, and then one day, I walked in the locker room and everybody was talking about Instagram and Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> that, goes, I, that, that's not a good thing. So I said to him, and I'll ask you this question. Right. Obviously, you've been on a couple different teams. Do you give rookies advice? What is the locker room conversation about money, investments, and business like? Yeah, it's, it's, and just, obviously it varies team to team. Yeah, That's why it, I'm it asking you the question. It varies team to team, man. Um, and I know exactly what he's talking about because it's it's a weird thing, man, uh, from when you just go from, like, walking into a locker room where you know that the conversation is going to be about some things that can really help you in life and also walking into a locker room where it's just like, let's just get dressed and go to practice, you know? And it's, <laughs> you know, the thing is, I've been fortunate enough that I've played with enough guys that where I can get a little bit of both, you know? And uh, I, I give advice, I give advice if, if advice is, is, is needed. You know, I'm, I'm not one to seek out guys because I never know what guys are going through. I don't know how, you know, they might accept it or not, but I've always had an open door open locker room guy, um, you know, if, if anyone needed advice for anything, you know, and that's from the game all the way to, to business. And are you also conscious of, because I see this a lot, and we've talked about this, like, are you conscious of, because I know you're conscious of it, but do you think about it, like when a rookie comes onto the team, mm -hmm. so I, let's say I'm a rookie and I get drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers, I'm a second round pick, what am I going to make, 800 grand or something? 750 a yeah. million. Let's call it a million. So now I'm in this locker room amongst you, you know, making all the money you make. Kevin Love making all the money he yeah. makes. Kyrie makes all the money he makes. Um, Double T makes all the money he makes. But I'm only making a million bucks, but you guys got cars, you got beautiful clothes. Right. Are you conscious of and think about, well, I got to make sure that rookie on our team doesn't get caught up in all the stuff that we do we're on the road right. we're buying big dinners we're yeah. buying expensive wines yeah. or do you guys think about that and talk about that part yeah, absolutely and, I, and you know what i've been a part of some veteran ball clubs you know and now at this point in my career that i don't i don't even allow the rookie to try to to pay, pay for anything 
you know, you know, the rook will come on on the road. He comes to dinner with us. He don't even reach in your pocket. You know, if he's around and he sees us doing certain things as far as like spending money, like don't even think about that. Like, you will say that to the yeah, rookie. Yeah, I would like say. if you guys go to Cartier and you're buying some jewelry. No, or you can't even go. <laughs> Stay at the yeah, hotel. You can't even go with us. Yeah. No, you can't even go with us because it's not. It's not fair to even put it in his face. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even want to put it in his face and. You know, I've had a, a, a really good opportunity in my career to be friends with some car dealership guys to where if, like, a rookie's on the team, we can kind of vouch for him. You know, of course. Possibly he can get a car for six months or for if he can get, you know, you know 6,000 miles on this truck and then turn it in and get another whatever. And they've been able to do that things. And, you know, and so it's like you don't even want to put that in their face. But you, you, you know they're coming from college, you know, and if you're a second-round pick, you know, you, you know they've been, you know, having their stipend or whatever they case at Pell Grant or whatever in college, so they know how to save money. Yep. You know, so you don't want them to get caught up into, you know, trying to spend it before they get it. Exactly. And then on the flip side of that, have you ever been a part of a locker room or, or seen or thought about that there's competition amongst the guys of, like, who's making the best investments, who's making the most money, whether it's kind of silent and hidden or it's kind of out in the open? Now, you know what? It, it's the, the conversation of who's making the best investments don't get talked about. Um, you know, it's, that's kind of like something that don't get talked about, but I, there is a competition between guys that I've seen on who has the best car, who has the best jewelry, uh, who has the best, you know, whatever the case may be. There is a competition in that, and, uh, and you, you see that all the time, and it, it kind of it just makes, it makes me laugh, actually. Because <laughs> you wish it was a competition about like money, investments, yeah, yeah. life, Businesses, things like that, business, things, things like nature, that. Yeah. But do obviously being who you are and the statue that you carry and all the stuff we've accomplished, do you have a lot of guys coming to you, whether it's on your team or throughout the league? I wish. Like, help me figure this out, man. Did you think about this? I wish, man. I wish. You know, and that just goes back all it goes back to what you was talking about as far as the ego. Yeah, exactly. It goes all the way back to that. You know, guys in our league, if I wasn't who I was as a basketball player, but I was the same who I am off the floor being this successful, more guys would come to me. Yeah. But the simple fact that I've been at the top of the mountain for so long, everyone feels like, oh, I got to try to knock him off. So I can't ask so him I for help. So I can't ask him for help. Which is a silly thing. Which is a very You're gonna silly thing. You're going to separate the two right. in my brain. And that's, that's, what you, that's what we were talking about. Guys can't separate the two things because... In their mind, they like if I'm asking from advice, you know, from you know, why did he invest in that? Why did you invest in Blaze? Like, you know, you had the McDonald's situation. Why did you decide to just do get rid Blaze? of that? Get rid of McDonald's. Why did you get rid of that and do Blaze? They feel like, oh, you know what? No, I can't do that because I need to figure out how I can knock him out of the Easter Conference. Yep. You know, I would say guys are probably also a little nervous too, a little scared of like. Agreed. Agreed. I'm I'm not versed enough to have that conversation with yeah. LeBron. He's he's way above me or past me. That if I get in that conversation with him, I'm gonna get confused. Right. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, you got to start somewhere. Absolutely. Because I was that I was that kid at one point too. That I remember I used to sit in classrooms at at one point in time and was afraid to ask a question. I was afraid. I, I was always look at the teacher like you know. You remember, you know, your teachers always say there's no such thing as a dumb question. I used to always be like, yeah, right. <laughs> I know this question I got to ask is dumb. And when I, I, when I finally got past that in high school, 
It was like, I'll ask anything. I'll ask anything just to get, just to get knowledge, just to, just to talk, just to, just to hear myself ask the question. It, just, it gives you relief. It gives you relief. Absolutely. And then talking about Blaze and McDonald's and, and all the things that we've done, when you, so let's just use Blaze and McDonald's, for, for example. We both invested uh, in Blaze. It's obviously done very well. But you had a great contract with McDonald's yeah. that was set to pay you, I mean, you had another 14 or $15 million left guaranteed. And I came to you with the idea that, yeah. <laughs> hey, I think if you let, let's get rid of McDonald's, you, you'll give away that money. You won't make that money, but there's a better investment. I right. think we can invest in this thing that, A, better fits where you're going as a person, right. your lifestyle, and B, I think it's a better business idea. What What is it about that that you went, I'm okay, I trust that, I believe in that. Let's do that, man. I, I believed in the, the actual product first. And, um, and and like I said, it was a great partnership with McDonald's. We had a, we had a great time. We did some great things on over television. Years, yeah. We did some great things over the years. But I remember we went to UC Irvine, and we went. You hated it, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I hated the drive. I, <laughs> I hated it, first of all. You, you were bitching the morning. You're an way. asshole for not telling me how far it was from Los I Angeles. I told you. No, you didn't. You Los told Angeles me it was like traffic 45 is unpredictable. Minutes, it ended up being like three hours. Los Angeles traffic is unpredictable. I know that now, now that I live there. <laughs> exactly. Um, but we went there, and we actually tasted the product. It's the first ever blaze that you first ever blaze, yeah. and we tasted the product, and the product was phenomenal. You know, and I actually took a pie back, back to the hotel as well. And then... Um, uh, you came with me with the proposition that we could actually own our own yeah. and be franchisees of, of a couple cities in America. Yeah. And the numbers that you were showing me, the, the potential that we can make if we just put the time and effort into it, exceeded you know, what McDonald's would be guaranteeing me for over the next four years. But more importantly, I think for me, it was like, oh, wow, we get to actually build this. Be a part of we can be a part of something that's forget the money. Exactly. Yeah, forget the money. We can actually build something. Yep. And and if it doesn't become successful, then I can only blame myself, because I know the product is that damn good. Like I taste the product. I went there. I see how cool it was to go up there. And you just like, I remember going to Ponderosa as a kid. Like a, <laughs> a buffet. I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. Choice. Choices. Boom. Yeah. You eat two minutes. And that was the same thing with the pie. I was like, listen, I want this. I want that mix. I want that sauce. I want that ingredient. I want that topping. Two minutes later, you got a fresh pie. Exactly. I was like, if we can, who doesn't like pizza? I don't know a person in the world that doesn't like pizza. I don't care what kind of diet you are. Everyone loves pizza. So I was like, if we can't make this successful, then we, we are, we're in the wrong business anyways. Figuring out how to be sustainable, how to build, and how to create with your money that's one thing when you're LeBron James. But when you're you or me, let me tell you a story. About four years into my pro career, I decided it was time for me to reap the fruits of my labor and get a brand new car. Now at this time, I'm playing alongside players with the best, most luxurious cars you've ever seen in your life. Bentleys, Rolls Royces, Mercedes-Benz, Audis, BMWs, you name it. After about three weeks of research, I found the exact car I wanted, and it was time to make the purchase. Now, up until this point, I'd been driving my college car, a 2006 Chevy Impala, the standard edition. The day before I was ready to buy my dream car, 
the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals pulls into the practice facility at the same time as me. I look over to my left, and wouldn't you know it, he was driving the same exact car as me, except mine had a CD player and his didn't. I remember thinking to myself, here's the richest guy in the state of Ohio, and he's driving a car that has less value than the car I have. It was a very, very valuable lesson to me early in my career to realize it's important not to get caught up with trends and what the next person is doing. Being smart with your money is hard. So we told Mav to get LeBron's quick hits, his best advice for you and me. Best business or finance? Slash financial decision you made. It could be I mean, it's, too, it's signing with Nike and, signing with and Nike. getting down with Beats. <laughs> <laughs> Two good ones. What is there anything a purchase that you really regret? Like, shit, I wish I could have that money back. I know I'm pissed yeah, about that. Yeah, I bought a fucking house in Las Vegas. <laughs> oh my God. What was that? Uh, 2005. So oh, because, that was the Olympic that was the, yeah. So every summer, oh, obviously, God. our training camp was in Vegas. I would go to Vegas. I'm young. I don't know that. Okay, yeah, I'm there for a week. I'm having a ball there playing. Also having a good time. I'm 21, 22. My family's coming out. They love it. Let's buy a house. That was so, you, you idiot. <laughs> who, who buys a house in Vegas? It's, that was a that was a silly one. Yeah, and I lost money too. You lost money. Yeah, I lost money. And you, I know you hate losing oh, money. Oh my God. You'll never forget that. No matter I will how never much forget you, that. No matter how much money you make, what you do, you uh, lost yeah, money I on a decision never, you made. On a decision I made. It's going to bother you the it rest of your life. It was a lovely house too. Loved it. It's 20 minutes off the strip, you idiot. I can just stay in one of all these hotels on the strip. You want to buy a house 20 minutes away the from the The best part is, whatever. after you bought the house, you went to Vegas 10 more times and wouldn't go to the house. Yeah. When did you realize yeah. I, I screwed this up? I realized I screwed it up when, like you said, when I would go to Vegas for like two or three days and I wouldn't even go to the house. <laughs> I, would just stay at, I would just stay at a hotel on the strip. Yeah. It was like, what are you, okay, yeah. Mistakes. The one question, obviously, um, that we should spend time on is like they always you hear. The reason I did this show is like that athletes have to make tough decisions at right. a young age. You obviously made a young age to deal with us, to deal with me, Rich, Randy, uh -huh. to deal with people who are not only your business partners, but are your friends. Right. And a lot of times, you know, you watch broke, which I thought was didn't get into the real conversation that right. we're having. They tell you. Don't hire your friends. Don't right. do it with your friends. Don't do it with people close to you. Go hire some guy who's been doing it for 20 years. Right. You obviously, and we thought about it and talked about it consciously, <laughs> shunned that way, right. but kind of did a blend of both. Right. What was it that made you think of it that way? Well, I mean, it all started because I just felt like, it, it's so weird because, you know, my mom used to always say, you are beyond your years. I never knew what that meant when I was nine years old or 10 years old. She's like, son, you're just beyond your years and you'll figure it out at some point. And at 18 and 19, you know, it finally clicked for me of why she used to say that because I, I, I just sensed that I wouldn't be able to reach my full potential under the umbrella that I was in with my agent at the time. I felt like not only was it divide and conquer going on, but there was also uh, 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 of trying to keep you here while I grow. Yep. And that, that, that rung a bell in my head. I was like, you know what? That's not what I want to do. 
Nah, I, you know what? I, I know I'm going to be able to be successful in the game of basketball because I know how much hard work I'm going to put into it. But the guys that I know that I'm a, that's going to be around me for the rest of my life, which is you three guys, why not empower you guys? Why not empower you guys? And why not us all learn at the same time? And you know why, you know why it became so easy for me? is because when I started to play travel basketball, some of my best friends growing up, we all grew up and learned the game together. Yep. And it resulted in us winning a national championship. You know, and I've always looked at like parenthood and business and basketball as kind of being the same thing when you're a leader. You have all these different personalities. You have to figure out how to put these personalities in the right place to maximize the team. Yep. How can you how can you get the most out of that person? Yep. You know, and as a parent, yes, I have three kids and you give them this you give them the same structure, but you can't coach them all the same because they're all different people. Um, so for me to be able like to, for me to be able to look at it at that at 20 years old and 19 years old, it was it finally came to fruition what my mom was talking about. So I was like, OK, Mav, I want you to be this rich. I want you to be this, you know, Randy, I want you to be this. And and it wasn't what it is today. We all had to still we kind of kids. we were all kids. We were all still trying to figure it out. I mean, I was figuring out my game on the court. I was a point guard my rookie year. Exactly. You know, so I was still trying to figure it out, but I knew that I wanted to have that figure out process with us. Yep. And I mean, it's I can't be I couldn't close the door on what everyone else says, you know, you should you know, hire agent. Don't hire your friends. Do it this way. If that was the case, then I would have lost a long time ago because they said you're inner city kid. You underprivileged. You live in poverty. You're not going to make it out. I mean, I would have lost a long time ago if that was the case, if I would have listened to a, what the narration of it of all is. So and there's also obviously a lot of times they talk about like, spend a lot of time talking about how athletes' friends rely on them, and that's part of the reason they run out of money is like their friends rely on them. But I think you know, when you're a young guy, it's hard not to do that. It's hard right. not to you want your friends to go with you. Yeah, you want them to rely on you because you're like, I've made it, so I want my friends yeah, to make it too. For sure. But we always talked about it'll be a great feeling if we. We all don't have to rely on LeBron, meaning we don't have to wait for Le LeBron not buying right. every single right. thing. We always want the feeling <laughs> of like, at dinner, sometimes I pick it up. Sometimes Randy picks it up. It just depends, and that's like a good feeling. Right. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's an unbelievable feeling to know that, one, that your friends can walk into a meeting without you, yep. pitch something without even using your name, um, say that, you know what, I remember you guys used to always say, man, Man, we appreciate what you're doing, man. I swear, we're going to take you on a trip. We're going to take you on a trip. And I was like, man, listen, don't even worry about it, man. Listen, we good. Don't even worry about it. But it's just a, it's a great feeling to know that I knew that I didn't want to just have guys around that was just along for the ride. And I always knew in my head, maybe before I even told you guys, that when I'm done playing, I want you guys to still be able to you know, broaden out and do things that y'all still want to do. So, it's, it's just been a blessing. That's going to do it for this episode of Meeting Dill the Podcast. 
presented by Uninterrupted at Chase. You can check us out right back here in two weeks with Serena Williams, the queen of the court. You sacrifice so much, just as much as the guy next to me that's training every day, but he gets to be paid more. How do you explain that? Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to shows. It's free, it helps others find the show, and that way, you'll never miss an episode. Thanks again to our partners for this show, Chase. Head over to Chase.com and see what Chase has to offer. Our executive producers are myself, TD St. Matthew Daniel, and Ben Adair. Special thanks in this episode goes to Rachel King, Natalie Lease, and Raghu Manavala. And I'm Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk, telling you what a wise man told me, a penny saved is a penny earned.